Welcome to the show. This is Paul George in studio with Adam Conk, where we talk Paul, about Paul, Paul. discovering the art of living. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm great, Paul. How are you? Good. I'm a little tired. It's been a long week. Yeah. And <laughs> How's that uh, new baby working I actually up? woke up early. I was on the John Leonetti show. Hey, now. And I missed the call for the show. Ooh. Ooh, I am so sorry. But let me tell you why. Okay. I'm sure it's a great reason. Yeah, so I had my phone on me. I woke up early. Um, and then I got re- really distracted. I was helping my wife get the baby ready so she could get out the door. Cause she was going somewhere. And noticed that her tire was low. Oh, no. And so we run out to the shed, get oh, the no. air thing, the pump. And so in the midst of all that, I didn't hear my phone ring. And then when I finished blowing up the tire... I see all these missed calls, and then a call. <laughs> I'm late. I was a little late calling late? in. Uh, I, they started the segment, but then they patched me right in. I think I did okay. I was a, a, a little distracted. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're uh, late to something like that, it rattles you, right? Yeah. But you're, you're Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected, so I'm sure you did fine. Well, I act calm, cool, and collected, but inside I was really ticked off. Really? Oh, yeah. I was so frustrated with myself and, you know... Paul, you're just going to have to let that go, man. Oh, I'll let it go. <laughs> Listen a, to Elsa. With a few words. Oh, I see. You know? Mm-hmm. But, but, he, but how'd it go? Here's the thing. I, I I don't know if I should start drinking coffee in the morning or not. Well, what do you do, Paul? I I drink tea. Now, now I know it sounds like a little no, weird. No, it sounds awesome. But it's iced tea. I'm from the South. I Dude, drink most, iced tea. No sugar, though. Uh, most civilized people drink tea instead of coffee. That's just a fact. Okay, but Go I'm not England. even talking about like a little, you know, coffee cup of tea with a tea bag. Like How I much drink, tea do you I drink? I drink like a, like a big glass of iced tea. Oh, my word. I don't Every know morning? Much, at least. Of iced tea every morning? Yeah. Now, hey, I don't know how cool. much caffeine is in there. We could look it up, Does it get you, get, you, get you wired? I don't know. It mm. takes a while. Well... Yeah, I mean, so I I do the very strong coffee every morning thing. You do and like it, espresso? No, but French press and and uh, it's it's packing packing heat. And if I don't do that, it's bad. And so sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I should kick that because I'm basically addicted to coffee. Right. If I don't have it this morning by the afternoon, it's like I'm dying. Yeah, I would say probably half the people I know are addicted to coffee. But, you know, I tried to kick it once. You did. Yeah. how'd that work out for you? Because you struggle with migraines. Yes. So if you came off of caffeine, bro, we might have to bro. pick you up off the ground. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did try to kick it once. I was teaching at the time. Right. And first week was rough. The second week was like, oh, this is great. But the third week, I couldn't talk. Like, I'd be teaching, and I would just it would just fumble. So I actually talked to a friend of mine, I know this is going to sound very pretentious, but a friend of mine who's a cognitive scientist. Yes. And I said, what's going on? What's and he said, on? he said, actually, your brain learns how to think with caffeine. Okay. And it takes at least six weeks to learn Ooh. how to think differently. Wow. And so what you're experiencing is your brain is literally not able to think. You, so you had to learn how to rethink. So that afternoon, I had a big old coffee. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not, not doing, doing this. this. Yeah. So here's what I know about caffeine. It's illegal. Yeah. Yeah. So you can legally For pur- now. purchase it. For now. You can legally consume it. Yep. And, you know, it's fine. Now, I, what I don't understand is these people who do these energy monster drinks. <laughs> yeah. They have like 300, you know, milligrams of caffeine in one drink, and they're yeah. just wired. 
Like it can get out of control for sure. Yeah. The other day I asked somebody if they wanted some coffee and they said, no, I do monster. Monster. And I'm like every morning. Yep. Yep. Dude, and the amount of sugar and all that's in there, it's it's not real healthy. But anyway, that's beside the point. So here's what season <laughs> it is here in Louisiana. You know what season it is? Hot season? It is hot season. It's wedding season. I am going to a wedding, like literally one wedding or two weddings a week right now. Wow. Yeah. Young adults getting married, and it's it's beautiful. It's it a, is. It's an amazing time. It year. is. Love is in the air. I do I do love weddings, and my wife and I just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. Congratulations, Paul. By the way, 21 years. How many of them happy? How many of them happy? I would say 20. 21? 20. You got to say 21. 20. Wow. Yeah. What happened that one year? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you would take out like all these little moments in the 21 years, oh, it might add up to a year of like... Gotcha. But it might not. I don't know. I haven't done the math. I would say that our first year of marriage was certainly fun and happy, but it wasn't it wasn't easy. Oh no. You know, just getting used to like married life and each other and yeah, that was yeah. There was and you're more still of kids a, and, and we had a big move and yeah, it was it was there were a lot of stressful things in the first year of marriage. You know, and some people don't experience that in their first year. Some people experience it in their fifth year or their tenth year. Or their 15th year, or their 20th year, or their 30th year, when kids are out of the house, you're going to have a season or times in your marriage where it's just hard. You got to push through, you got to work through some issues. And the reality is, bro, honestly, is you just don't quit. Yeah. You know, the majority of people I talk to who have gone through a divorce, uh, and statistics will show this that your divorce rate in your second marriage is just as high as the first. If not higher. Right, right, so you repeat sort of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I'm not getting into the conversation of like, you know, should you have gotten a divorce? Like, there's some cases there, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, it's unavoidable. So I'm not talking about that. Um, but majority of people in, in that you talk to or in even research, when they get older, um, what they say is when they look back, they wish they would have just worked out the first marriage. Yeah. They wish they would have just worked out the issues, pushed through the tough times and the hard times. And so as I'm going to all these, you know, weddings of these mm-hmm. young people getting married and you see this beautiful young love and commitment. It's it's awesome. Uh, you know that they're all going to hit moments where marriage is going to get hard. And your only hope is obviously the sacrament, the grace. Jesus is at the center. But they that grace moves them to stay committed during mm-hmm. the hard times. Yeah, and I think there's an analogy to our prayer life, too, and pretty much anything human is like that, right? It's like, if it's worth doing, and if you're going to grow from it, and if you're going to become a better human being, it's going to be tough. Not maybe, but will be. But I think, I don't know, in our culture today, we we think something's wrong when it's difficult, I guess. So either in prayer or in marriage, it's like, we have a problem. Yeah. And we get ashamed or we get isolated or we don't want to deal with it. We treat it like all of our problems. Like, I just don't want to think about it or deal with it. And so it gets worse. I want a quick fix. But there's no problem. Like, it's right. supposed to be tough sometimes. Yeah, we want everything to be easy. Same thing goes with, like, work and job and career. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, when things get tough or I don't feel like doing this, you know, I just get online and start looking for another job. I just want a quick yeah. fix. I, I, I don't want to push through. And the reality is there's just days you're not going to want to go to work. You're not going to want to do what you do. And certainly, I'm not saying that there are times where you need change. There's a better fit. 
we could talk about that. That's a different conversation. But what you're saying is true is like, sometimes it's just hard. You just need to push through. Uh, commitment takes you to the next level and the lessons that you learn when things are tough. So when things are easy, things are easy, but it, it's really an adversity that we learn and grow the most, right? It's really yeah. in failure that we learn and grow the most. And so when, in times where there's been difficulty in my marriage or grind, it, it's opportunity to, for me to look at myself and say, what are the areas of my life that I need to grow in that I'm being challenged in in this moment that, that I could get better, that I could grow in virtue and love and holiness, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here. Well, I think you're describing a really important virtue that we need to spread amongst the church in that when we hit a difficulty, whether it's in our marriage or in our apostolate or whatever, our prayer life, I see kind of two reactions. One, I blame someone else for this difficulty. Right. And then I get into a posture of the way to solve this difficulty is make sure this person is not in my life or this type of person, right? Right. It's like in the church, like, oh, I'm having difficulty evangelizing or doing whatever. Well, it's because these people are doing this in the church, so they need to stop it and I need to make fun of it, right? Like like, this is the problem, right? right? Or I could turn it inward and say, this is a chance for me to grow. There's something that I learned from this situation, so let me do that. And... I think the difference between those perspectives and attitudes are just night and day, and our church desperately needs more people willing to look at themselves and grow, right? Yeah, it's called ghosting. When we just ghost the issue or ghost the person, we just pretend like they're not there, we move on, we don't we don't answer them back, we, we kind of cut them out, you know? And I think we do that often in our own life, is we just ghost the issues. We mm-hmm. just pretend like they're not there. And the reality is we're always constantly faced with those things so that we can grow. You know, I'm I'm... One of the things I'm excited about all these weddings is because, you know, culturally people are getting married either later mm. or not at all. Yeah. And to see these these younger couples, you know, really trying to pursue, you know, family and life and marriage and commitment uh, is great. But they're becoming a smaller percentage yeah. of people who are willing to make those sacrifices and particularly, you know, at a, at a younger age, um, trying to live chastely, trying to live within within um, the, the moral guidelines of the church so that they can live in, in, in true happiness and freedom. That's beautiful for me to see because marriage today is more of a witness to true love and God's presence really than anything that we have. Because if you look in the culture where family's falling apart, the world's falling apart in a sense of the, the moral structure, Christian marriage is going to be the brightest light that we have when it comes to, to, to humanity, I mean, the church is obviously, mm-hmm. but but like what people can see in humans as a witness, marriage is going to be a huge bright light. Yeah. Well, and that's why we need to support it, right? That's it. When we see these young couples get married, we need to be in their life. Yep. Support them. Yep. All right. Thanks, so, thanks for being in my life, Paul. You got it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get some coffee right after this. So, Paul George Show, we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. 
That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here. Excited to have a good friend of mine on for an awesome discussion today. Any Hickman, Houston, Texas. How you doing, bro? What's up, man? Doing great. Yeah. Hot. Yeah, dude, it's hot in the south. For those who don't live in the deep south as we do, you're in Houston, I'm in Louisiana. We're basically the same, you know, tropical, you know, climate here. It's pretty hot, but it's also. Yeah. Saturation. You can't walk outside without feeling like you're swimming. Yeah. 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 In the first segment, I was talking about, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, you're going to a lot of weddings this time of year, but it's like wedding season, um, which is beautiful. I love it, but I always feel bad for the brides because of the humidity. They're like they like go from like the limo or whatever they're in right inside the church. They got to run in, or their makeup will be down at their toes before they know it. Right. That's literally. Yeah, they're not excited to get married. They're just trying to not <laughs> let their makeup run. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and ordination. And I'm, I'm going to an ordination tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, good friend of mine, Deacon David Husk, uh, here in Houston, man. Um, it's going to be kind of a, if there was ever a celebrity ordination. Um, That's it. You, you, pa- pa- paparazzi could show up there, you know. Uh, we'd have, uh, you know, Gomer sightings and uh, a bunch of musicians. Uh, this guy has been, um, he's been around. It's a great, great, great uh, time to celebrate. So, yeah, absolutely. Fine. Yeah, well, it's good to have you on the show, man. And uh, so Thanks. I got an interesting call yesterday, and I wanted to talk about this uh, from a friend, um, a former missionary. He worked in church, did youth ministry, got married, works in the business world now. Um, you and I know him both really well. But he, he was on a drive for work, a uh, long drive, so he, he just called, and we were catching up, and he said, hey, Paul, I actually want to talk through an issue I'm having just this moral dilemma inside of me. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? And I thought, you know, maybe, you know, there, there were some personal things going on and I was like, shoot away, man. Uh, I'll hold off the meeting I'm going into. And he goes, dude, as I'm driving, I'm, I'm just been wrestling with this whole um, immigration issue, this whole life issue, everything that's happening in our world when it when it when it comes to the dignity of life and I'm just wrestling not with not with loving people but but how to love people and and what's the right way and policy to go about this and we had this a huge long conversation um, and it was real interesting because this seems to be a conversation that people are wanting to have today yeah I, I, I want to start a new political party called the Taco Party. <laughs> and uh, you just, you, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole premise of the party is uh, we might disagree, but let's just have tacos. Right. You know, like, I, 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 I think the danger, I mean, yeah, I talk to people every day, you know, every day um, on this side and this side. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's just so much anger and divisiveness when you begin to talk about life issues like immigration or abortion or, you know, war, um, guns, you know, all this stuff that are, that are, I mean, they're, they're life issues. They're primarily life issues. And when we, as, as pro-life people, um, you know, we develop empathy for all life. The Catholic church, you know, teaches all life is precious. There's not, you know, the down syndrome baby in the, in the womb is not, 
you know, more important or less important um, than the immigrant mother on the border right. or the, you know, the Sunni Muslim. Like we're, you know, it's all pressure. So we, we starting there, I think that, um, you know, when we, when we are wrestling with issues because of, I, I'm not, I, I think it's the state of our culture, our society, politics, whatever it may be, we immediately throw life issues into a political tribe, you know? So we say, all right, if you, for instance, like, you know, I'm a gun owning, recycling pro immigrant, you know, like, you know, I think Catholics across the board, like, like you can't peg us because we stand for everybody. And I think that in the political climate, we kind of, we tend to throw it into, you know, these, these tribes and we're afraid, perhaps, or angry. Um, and I think that's the great tragedy is that when we talk about life issues, you know, we automatically associate them with politics and policy. But I always answer in this way. Like, I, I, when, when people are wrestling with this, I think that we're, we see things and we want to, we, we obviously want them to change. And because of our busyness, because of um, the, you know, we're, we're not interruptible in our day. Um, we're out for this, 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 and this. We've got all these things that we have to accomplish that we tend to look to politicians and government and law and all these things, policies, to accomplish what we're actually called to accomplish in our neighborhood and in our circles, right? So what can I do? Yeah, you can vote and you need to participate and all those things. But I'm always saying, man, if you have, if you, if you're feeling empathy or compassion welling up about families being torn apart on the border, you're, you're, you know, it might not be activism or giving to a political party or anything like that. It could be simply walking two doors down and meeting the immigrant family on your block. You know, yeah. the, 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 it's not, it's not, uh, we, we, we tend to overcomplicate all these things. And, uh, I mean, I know I, I, dude, I feel, I feel that tension all the time because I'm not, you know, I'm not smart. I'm not a genius. I don't, I don't understand, you know, government and law and politics. I literally have, you know, friends that every time November rolls around, they, they sort of give me, I ask them to give me their, um, opinions and, and, you know, cause I don't have time. I, I really don't have time. Like who's, who's for this, who's for this, who's for this, who's for this. Um, I think in our climate, we've, you know, we've kind of, um, we've over tribalized things, you know, you're either this or this black and white, as opposed to looking at it from a Catholic perspective and saying, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's policies and I need to be aware of those things. But as a Catholic Christian, um, I'm called to love my neighbor. And sometimes that is literally, you know, your neighbor, your neighbor, neighbor. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Radius type stuff. And, you know, I wish I knew more about policy. And I think a lot of times, honestly, we get stuck in thinking about policy is going to fix everything um, and political structures. And, and certainly, you know, I, I'm not smart enough to, to know all the answers to those things. And so when I was talking to my friend, our friend, just saying, you know, zoom out of policy for a minute. And what does the church teach you about immigrants? And he says, to love them. I was like, absolutely. As, and what does it teach you about the unborn, to love them? What does it teach you about 
you know, uh, you know, babies who are being aborted or, or the Down syndrome issues is to love them. They're all like life. What about the people who are in war right now? What about the people who don't believe what you believe? Love them. Like, like he had a clear conscience answer about the church's teaching on the dignity of life. And I said, so when we zoom out as, as a Christian, as Catholics, right, is we, we automatically think universal. We automatically love universal, that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. No policy can change that, that view, that worldview of people, right? right? So I think the tension that we feel, maybe here, the people who are listening a little bit in, in America— is uh well how do i do that how do i do that right how do i love people and i think a lot of times instead of just waiting for policy to change we should just start loving people yeah and it and it and it's uh it's it's way um you know that, that that's the, that's the thing uh, it, it's like outsourcing charity right like we or outsourcing youth ministry for instance we've both you and i and you know, a lot of our listeners, a lot of the listeners are obviously, um, you know, involved in youth ministry, probably. I mean, that's like, <laughs> you, you know, the, the idea that parents, you know, are driving up to a church and dropping their children off as a way of giving them or passing on the faith, you know, echoing down the Catholic faith is, is just absolutely ludicrous they are not doing that in the home if they aren't you know uh you know not just reinforcing but the prime we have you know as parents we have the primary you know we're the primary catechists you know so we can outsource youth ministry i think in our culture because we've gotten so busy we outsource everything everything so we outsource charity we go Hmm. we go you know well i gave my money to such and such charity and they fed the poor no god did not say you know when I was hungry, you gave money to somebody who fed me, you know, like right. when I was thirsty, you know, you get, you outsourced, you know, people who were building wells, like there are, there, there is something to the connection to the poor. There's something to the connection of, uh, you know, to, 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 to your children that, that is, that's necessary. And I think in politics, it's the same way. We, we have these struggles and we see that there's something wrong. And so we just outsource it to the politicians. I mean, this is my, and man, I, I, I'm not going to curse today, bro. I promise. Yeah. Don't do that. It's, it's, (laughs) it's my big B it's the beef with, it's the beef that I have. And you know, I mean, we're, we both have, uh, you know, also, um, you know, been in development, you know, raising funds for, you know, specific missions and things like this. Um, you know, here in the United States, we've outsourced um, the pro-life movement to our politicians, mm. you know. And so where does the majority of the money go from people who want to, you know, who want to do something good or change policy or overturn Roe v. Wade or whatever it might be? We just we stack the deck into politics and we give all the money to campaigns and we give up because we we believe but look i mean it's 40 years down the road and there's more abortions now than ever um that's not working you know and so i think that not only is it and i don't know the answer necessarily but i do know what what again what we're taught um and you know by the lord 
to, to love God and love our neighbor and, and, you know, start there. Um, and then from there, I think we develop an empathy. You know, it's way more, it's way more difficult to get your hands dirty. Yes. Um, it's way absolutely. more difficult to walk, to walk down and knock on the door of your immigrant neighbor. Um, you know, it's way easier to simply say, well, you know, and, you know, shake your fist at Washington or shake your fist at your, you know, your congressman or whatever, and try to outdo, you know, on this kind of type of thing, but man, it just, there's so much anger involved there. I mean, I, li- I don't know. You've probably had the experience of, you know, talking to somebody about these issues and literally like face starts getting red and they start shaking and, you know, it's just like, man, what did I do? I'm just saying like, maybe we should recycle, you know, like, you know, like, like I'm know. not, I'm, you know, I didn't insult your mom. Like, I'm just saying maybe we should think about recycling, you know, or maybe we should think about gun reform. Like maybe we should think about those things. It's not, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, insult you, but, but yet like in our climate, man. And I think that, you know, there are some politicians that are giving, people permission to be, to get angry because they're angry and they're, and they're, they're vicious in their words. Well, it becomes like their, that. And, their platform. It's, it's their way to succeed. And, and look, you and I are both all about policy. If there was a policy that could reverse Roe v. Wade, we would, we would write it, own it and get behind it. Yeah, like we want that absolutely. more than anything else. But, but here's what, what I will say, what you're trying to say is that oftentimes what happens is that policy can distance us from loving people. And if we want to have a real uh, Christian worldview on on love and on the gospel, we've got to go through that red table policy and start loving people. You know, when I go into the third world on a mission, it completely mm-hmm. changes my worldview of people, of humanity. Yeah. Uh, when, when I see Absolutely. the other side of the border, like I fall in love with the immigrant, like, but why? Because they're yeah. human. They're no different than me. So when, no. when, when I can, can decrease the distance that I have me personally, I have distanced myself from loving those mm-hmm. people and I want everything else to fix it and other people to fix it. When I knock on my neighbor's door, when I go on the mission trip, when, when I research, you know, uh, the abortion issue, when I talk to a friend who had an abortion, when I enter into the humanity of the issue, I fall in love again. I fall in love again. And you had an experience recently with that. Yeah. I, yeah. If if you follow me on Twitter, yeah, I kind of, I just, a memory popped up in my, you know, I, I don't know about you, man. I, I, my memory is getting really bad I, as I, as I old, I'm, as I get older, like I, I forget this memory popped up when the, when all of this news of the lost children, you know, where, you know, where did they go? Right. The government lost 1500 kids, you know, whatever, whether that's fake news or real news, it just struck me like, Oh my gosh, where are these kids? You know? And, and, it, and I, I remember this, um, this time, for years, when I was uh, when I was uh, working out in Arizona, Ike and Dolo and I and his band would would travel over six hours to um, to El Paso, Texas, uh, mm-hmm. across from Ciudad Juarez. Juarez is the most dangerous city in the in in the hemisphere, and El Paso, right across the border, is the second biggest city in the United States, second to Honolulu, right? Second so what? you have this cr- second safest city Dang. in the United States. Yeah, and I've stayed there. Okay. And you can be in a hotel just looking over the border. 
it's, it's just weird. looking over the border yeah. at the most dangerous city in the hemisphere, right? So you're you're seven times more during the Afghanistan, uh, you know, war or whatever we were doing there. It's like you were seven times more likely to die in war as in Afghanistan. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, so we're like, so we would go there and we would mission and just and we were there to learn and to you know to to enter in and and pray with the people in their parishes and just to get to know them. And one of these days, um, our host, our sponsor. Uh, came in to breakfast and said, "Hey, we have we have permission to go to um, one of the um, you know uh, safe houses, one of the, the, the where where they're detained uh, undocumented immigrants. You know, they came over the border. You know, uh, border patrol caught them, and now they're detained. But and they're having like a little Bible study, and we we'd want y'all to go pray with them and lead. And you know, so I grabbed his guitar, I grabbed my Bible. This is awesome. All right, cool. Let's go." you know, um, you know, pray with these people. And, uh, and I, and I remember it, uh, you know, it, the, the, this memory, you know, when it popped back in my head, I, I, I just, I, I was moved to tears because when we opened the door to the house, there was a circle on the ground of about 20 children, hmm. like eight, eight and under, right? Like the, the same age as my, as my kids, we were like walking little kids. The, little kids, little kids, five years old, three years old. Like they, they were, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak hyperbolically and say they were, you know, children prisoners. Like they weren't, they were, you could tell that the people who were, you know, the caregivers and people, they loved them and they weren't being mean and they weren't in cages and they weren't in, you know, like none of that stuff, but they were sitting in this house in this circle you know, and I was shocked because I thought I was going to, you know, see some like raggedy old, you know, like just the images you think of when you think of undocumented people coming across the border. Like, you know, all that just went out the window and I saw the humanity, the fact that they were they were children. And so so Ike and I just like holding back tears for however long it was, 20 minutes, you know, singing Amazing Grace or This Little Light of Mine with these babies we prayed, you know, we prayed with them and then asked them to, um, to, you know, if they wanted to pray and, um, and they went around in a circle praying their intentions and every single one of them prayed for their mom and their, and their dad. And I mean, I, it just, for me, like, these are the same, you know, they're the same ages as my kids. And I'm trying to imagine this situation They're they're fleeing their country for asylum, or they're just looking for a better life for their family or themselves. They get caught and then separated from their children um, for the time being. I don't know how long they were, you know, detained or anything like that, but um, oh, I mean, I, I, I was changed forever, Paul. Like I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't ever, I can't, I can't not see that now when I, when I, when, when people talk about immigration issues, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know the policy. I don't know the best way to go about this, but I do know that we have to, if we're pro-life and pro-family, we have to think, we have to think in those terms when we encounter every human being, rather than trying to pick and choose like, all right, here's who's bad and here's who's good and here's who we're going to support or here's who we're going to, um, you know, um, you know, give a better life. To, you know, I think that, um, if you can do something, you should do something. And, and seeing humans as humans is kind of the first thing that everybody can do. Yes. We can all see 
the dignity and and Christ lives in the poor. I mean, he, he literally gave us. That. I mean, it's the it's 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 one of the scariest passages in Scripture. You know that like if you don't interact with me, if you don't interact with me in the poor, you know you you know you will not inherit the thing. I mean, you know, unpopular opinion. If you don't love the poor, in Jesus's words, you know, not mine. Like, and in his mercy, I, I, I don't know, you know, what happens after my death or in purgatory or whatever. But if I don't love the poor, very clear in, in scripture that, that I don't inherit what he wants to give me in eternal life. And, and uh, that's scary. That's really scary. So I take that seriously, you know, and I think that that, that um, you know, yeah, it was experiences like that in Africa and Haiti and the border and, you know, that um, – began to expand that. And maybe we don't have, maybe we don't have the resources to, to travel to El Paso or really get involved in that stuff. I'm a full-time missionary, so I get it, but there's humanity and there's suffering. There's, you know, the lonely and the lost and the poor on every block in every neighborhood in every city across the United States. And if we just start there listening and learning where our, where our neighbors are from and how they, um, you know, how they got here or just their story. We begin to, to develop a genuine curiosity for people. And then the second part of that is empathy. And then the last part of that is compassion. Yeah. You, you, you begin to show compassion um, for every human being, you know, yeah. like even, even the politicians that drive us in, you know, like I love praying for politicians. I love praying, you know, because oftentimes it's like, well, it's their job, you know, to, to do that. And I, you know, I don't agree, but like that person holds within them the image of God. Right. And, um, you know, so whether it's the poor or the rich, you know, there, there's that. Uh, but yeah, that was a moving experience. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no, I mean, I think as Christians at the end of the day, like maybe we can't go on a mission trip or, or experience, you know, what you experienced there. But, you know, if we want to have a true, um, you know, Christian outlook on the world or on humanity is we need to learn to fall in love with people who aren't like us. And, and right. And sometimes that's in our own family. It's in our own family. Sometimes sometimes you don't even have to go down the street. Yeah. You know, 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 everybody's got that uncle or, you know, that person, (laughs) you know, that, you know, that that alcoholic or drug addict or, you know, person who's depressed and, you know, like there are people in our lives or are in, the circles around us that if we just learn to love the people who are struggling and different than us, then we, then what happens is, like you said, we develop empathy and compassion. We begin to fall in love with the human heart. And then we have real empathy and compassion for people, you know, so that we're not so jaded when it's like, well, there's a war in Syria. And we're like, I don't care. No, like our reaction be like, yeah, I care. I don't know the policy. I don't know what's right, but I know there's people and people Mm -hmm. should live and, People should have a chance, like, and I should love those people, even if I don't know them. And when we begin to have compassion for humanity and and real empathy, that I think that's when when the world's going to really be transformed. And honestly, like like you're saying, it's it's for people like you and I and people who are listening yeah. to begin to love like that. And you know, at the end of the day, hopefully, yeah. God will God will you know give me the wisdom to 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 be you know, to write policy and be a politician. I don't <laughs> really know. Did, but have you I ever did... thought of that, Paul? Have you ever thought of I think I think a lot of people would vote for you, Matt. <laughs> Run it like mayor 
Mayor Mayor George. Do you know how many books, Lafayette. history books, I would have to read to catch me up? <laughs> I've been reading so much theology, man. I'm going to have to go back and read, like, the Declaration of Independence, man. I don't even know. <laughs> you just go watch Hamilton, man. But I will. I'll do it. If it means loving people better, right? Like, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. And it's like you. Like, right. you'll go to the border if God asks, or you'll go to your neighbor's door. Because that's what Christians do, and that's what we're trying to say. And so, yes, right. and this is a... and yeah, we're we're we 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 seem to have forgotten what we're for, right? I think that a lot of times in this tribalism, we we tend to we tend to think in terms of what we're against, right? You know, and um, you know, well, I'm against this, I'm against this, I'm against this. Well, how about foc- refocusing that or saying that differently to say that. I'm for this, right? So if I'm pro-life, that doesn't stop with, you know, I mean, that's one of the greatest critiques, right, of the pro-life movement is, um, you know, the, you, you, you love them in the womb, but when they're out, they're, you don't love them anymore. Like, <laughs> right. That's not exactly true, but I can see how folks on the, on the pro-choice side, they, they have a point. Yeah. Like there, there, is, there is a lack of, you know, it's like, well, once they're out, they say, oh, well, now they're now they're on welfare, and I'm paying taxes, and I'm paying for them to eat and go to school and all this stuff. It's like, well, you, you wanted them to be born, right? Like, you know, like we should probably support them as they live. Um, there, you know, there, we we really uh, when when we when we think of what we're against only, we forget that what we're for. We're pro-life. We're not anti-death. We're pro-life. We're we're pro-family, so that first means love your family. Yep. Quit being a quit being a, a you know a jerk and and you know running away from the issues in your marriage. Like kiss your wife, you know, take her on a date. Like that's what it means to be pro-family. Yep. You know, to be pro-life means to again uh, to listen to your neighbors and love your neighbors. Like that's that's what it means to be pro-life. So I think that yeah, I mean. And I'm preaching to myself because I think that oftentimes I do get all in this tension and I'm like, Oh, November, here it comes, you know, like, let's, you know, let's get riled up and, you know, do these things. And I think it's like, but really at the end of the day, um, my job, it was, you know, it's not love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, you know, and, you know, vote for leaders that will put pro-life policy and, you know, that's not what he said. That's just not what he said. He said, love your neighbor, you know? And so, um, I tend to think on on those lines because I'm I'm not great at either of those things yet, and I think that if I jump past the greatest commandments, you know, and and start to get involved in other things, you know, this kind of thing, like I'm I feel like I'm I'm disregarding, you know, what what's the foundation of all of this, and yep. that is God, you know, and and God in my neighbor, you know, so. Um, so that's the yeah, challenge, man. Uh, Let's be for great, people. Great. Yeah. Let's yeah, love oh, people, it's man. Way, it's way, yeah. It's way easier to love everybody than pick and choose who to love. Oh, know? yeah. It's just like, let's just love. Let's just love. Let's love everybody. Um, well, this is yeah. good, man. And I, and I, uh, yeah. Go kiss your wife and kids and your neighbor, man. I'm going to do the same. I might even kiss Adam awesome. or give him a hug. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, bro. You're awesome, man. I love you. Thanks. Yeah, totally. So are you. I'm so yeah. pumped you asked me to come back. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, find any Hickman on Twitter 
at any Hickman at any four. Is that what it is? Yeah, at any four, E N N I E, the number four. Um, you know, also adoreministries.com. Yep. Lots going on, man. All right. You're a rock star. Love you, bro. Sure. All right. Love you too. Thanks for having the Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here. Adam Kong. Hey. You've been over there for a long time. Any and I, any Hickman and I had a great conversation. You got into it. Yeah. It was like ongoing. Yes. That guy's built for radio. He's <laughs> he got is. some ideas. He does. And yeah, I mean, it's such a, it, it's such a real conversation, honestly, about life, about dignity, about people. I don't know. It's, you know, I often feel like I'm so unqualified to have the conversation because I don't always have all the answers. I know what Jesus says, but it's hard when you think about it all through the lenses of policy and whatnot. Yeah. Well, maybe it's time we all admit we don't have the answers because that's the truth, isn't it? Right. Even, even like on the highest levels. Because yeah. if we did, we'd see a much different society around us. Yeah, and I think oftentimes people get frustrated with the church, you know, or the, say the the U.S. bishops when they put out a statement on, you know, things about life, because they avoid policy. Because the reality is, the church isn't really here to make policy. The church is here to get people to love Jesus yeah. and Promote for us gospel, to love yeah. people, right? So that's what we're called to do. And if we all do that as a society, then then like everyone's taken care of everyone's being loved the issue in our world is that not everyone's being loved and taken care of and so then we have all these issues you know yeah so in lieu of all that you uh are not going to ask me a six pack of questions no right because any and i just talked forever and it was good <laughs> so but i will ask you one what is it is that okay yes all right so you began the conversation with any um, what well, was in the very beginning? Anyway, you referenced a good friend of y'all's mm-hmm. that called you when it was on a long drive. Yeah. So I have one question for you. Yeah. What's the longest distance you've ever driven? At from, one time? From where to where? Like in one trip. In one, yeah. one trip. Yeah, like, okay, I'm going from this place to that place. Um, Phoenix, Arizona to Atlanta, Georgia, we were moving in a moving truck, and I drove it, and it was a long, long, long drive. <laughs> <laughs> In a moving truck. But you made which it. Which you can only go like 55 miles an hour. Oh. You know. Really? Yeah, they have a governor on those things. Like, it, it you know. You it can't might, get up it to might, 70? It might get up to 70 if you're going like downhill or something, but I don't know. Wow. I didn't realize that. So yeah. that is a long trip. It is a long trip. So anyway, uh, great being with you today. Thanks, Adam. You can find the show on paulgeorge.la. Uh, you can support the show. Um, go to discovertheartofliving.com. See all the things that we're doing. Lots of good things. God is good. And thanks for everything. We'll be back next week. God bless.